Well, we come to Micah, uh, moving right through. We come to the prophet Micah and his uh, ministry and his teaching and preaching. And uh, I would like to read the first two chapters of the prophecy. Uh, we'll see that it uh, uh, is split in three sections, chapters one and two, and then three through five, and then chapter uh, six and seven, uh, by the words, uh, here, you peoples, or here, uh, Judah, and God calls them to hear what he has to say. Chapters 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Beth Afra. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir. In nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zayanin do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Aksib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, 
for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portions of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my works, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So you can see right away there are lots of familiar themes in, in many ways. But there is uniqueness. And so by way of introduction, we'll look at verse 1. And verse 1 contains a lot of information. The first thing is, it's the word... Of Yahweh the word of Yahweh and then Micah relates things about himself and then he says which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem so the word came first and Micah says I saw it if you remember Obadiah Obadiah said here's the vision of Obadiah and these are God's words they they uh, uh, were, were interchanged. So this relates to us the formula of the call of the prophet. Uh, Micah never is called a prophet. He never says he's a prophet. Nobody uh, says it, but he knows. He knows that he is. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. But as for me, he says, I am filled with power, with the spirit of Yahweh, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And so he says, God gave me this words. He uses the, the term that he saw. And later on in his prophecy, he says, this is who I am. I'm sent by God. I have the spirit uh, of Yahweh within me and I'm filled uh, with power. Uh, we recognize this as the common conscientiousness uh, of the or consciousness uh, of the prophets uh, that they confidently spoke the words of God whether they said thus said the Lord or whether like Amos he says look I'm not a prophet I'm not a son of the prophet but God called me from behind the sheep uh, dresser of figs and he made me a prophet that's uh, 
that's the authority that is uh, that Micah uh, speaks of. So that's that's the first words, and then his name. His name actually means who is like Yahweh. And in chapter 7, verse 18, uh, closing out the, the prophecy, uh, his name is used in, in that verse when the question is asked, who is a God like you, uh, pardoning iniquity? So his name is Micah, who is like Yahweh? And the prophecy closes with that question, who is like you, pardoning iniquity? Uh, God's providence in the various prophets' names, like we have seen, is very is very interesting, and uh, it, it connects it connects with seven eighteen and helps us to see that his prophecy, somebody says, underscores the unrivaled character and actions of Yahweh by name and by the declaration in chapter seven eighteen. It underscores the unrivaled character and actions of Yahweh. Micah is the prophet's name. The words and actions are, are Yahweh's. Here's my name, but I'm speaking of what Yahweh is going to do. There's no call. He didn't say like Amos, God called me from behind the sheep, but he knows that he's called and led by God's spirit. And then in the first verse, it talks about his home. He says he's Micah of Moresheth, and Moresheth is a small town, maybe uh, 25 miles or so. That would be to, to the southeast of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's here, and it, it, it's in the southeast. Uh, later on in chapter 1, uh, verses 10 to 15, you recognized in the reading, all these place names uh, were mentioned. And those place names are, are kind of in that area. And there's actually a, a, a word picture, Hebrew word pictures, that the names... Uh, or the name of a town, but it can mean destruction or danger, or it can mean different things. So his home is uh, Moresheth in chapter 1, verse 14. He calls it uh, Moresheth Gath. And uh, you could ask the question like Amos, uh, how did God get a prophet from Moresheth? Where did he get this guy from? Where did he get Amos from? You Right? You're the somebody says hey where's that where's that Amos he was a shepherd uh, you know the fig guy where's he oh he got some idea that God called him to be a prophet well how did Micah get called well it doesn't it doesn't tell us but somehow uh, God called him from this small town and uh, we can think of those things uh, uh, Nathaniel's reaction can anything good come out of Nazareth and his brother says, come and see. Uh, it's uh, one of those little things in the Gospel of John. Come and see. Sir, where are you staying? Come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Well, where did this guy come from? Well, he's telling you. So it could be this his area of ministry. There's, there's questions about that because he's a contemporary of Isaiah. But where is Isaiah? Isaiah is right there in Jerusalem, right? Isaiah, as we'll see next week when we study Emmanuel, he goes right up to King Ahaz and says, God's going to deliver you. Ask for a sign. He goes and talks to him. Uh, uh, look at Isaiah's dealings with Hezekiah. They're back and forth talking to each other. Hezekiah is sick. He prays. 
And Isaiah comes back and says, it's fascinating, isn't it? Isaiah is 66 chapters long and Micah is seven. And they're contemporaries. They spoke at the same time. The time frame. Uh, so we looked at uh, verse one, his name, his home, and the time. It, it's pinpointed in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, three Judean kings in Jerusalem. He's contemporary with Isaiah. The, the charts uh, that we had put him in the 750s to 701 range, 710. 701 is when Sennacherib laid siege to Samaria. So the, this prophecy has to be before then because it's predicting that that was going to happen. And the, 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 the years are different. Uh, different people have different years. Some say he, he might have ministered 40 years. Some say maybe 20 or 25. But still, uh, but still it was in that same time. And uh, it's mentioned years later in uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 26. And we'll look at verses uh, 16 through uh, 19. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not re deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And uh, they were ready to kill Jeremiah because they didn't like his message. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembly, uh, assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the peoples of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become as a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of the wooded height. And then they asked the question, Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he promised against him? But we uh, are about to bring great disaster on ourselves. We're going to king. We're going to kill uh, the voice uh, of God in our midst. We, we don't want to hear it, so we're going to get rid of it. And they say, look, a hundred years ago, Micah said the same thing to Hezekiah. He ministered in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he told Hezekiah, but Hezekiah believed the word and repented. There is a, a number of reforms recorded that Hezekiah did. Uh, Jotham, it says in Second Chronicles, uh, walked with the Lord, and Ahaz was uh, completely wicked. Uh, he turned from God. He uh, has had his children pass through the fire, and we'll, we'll study that next week when we look at the three passages that mention Emmanuel. Uh, so Hezekiah is the, uh, the good one, and Jotham is the good one. There's a message that's similar to Isaiah's. They, they touch at certain points, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, uh, Isaiah 2, 2 to 4. Uh, there's a use of Jacob to describe the people of God. But uh, as we saw before, uh, one prophecy has 66 chapters and the other only seven. The purpose is described in this verse also because it says what he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he says, God called me and I saw this prophecy and it's concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So it's, it's pinpointed. The capitals of these nations of Israel and Judah, uh, both are seats of power 
and, and corruption. Samaria, you remember, was taken over by Ahab, and uh, there, there was all the idolatry associated with that, and it was never completely cleansed. Jezebel was thrown down off the, the parapet. Uh, uh, Ahab was killed in battle, but it, it perpetuated. Uh, though they're good kings in Judah, Yahweh has enough to bring judgment uh, against the people. It's coming to both uh, Samaria and Jerusalem. Uh, first to Samaria and then eventually to Jerusalem. One writer talks about this as being God's lawsuit uh, against the whole nation. And uh, the language in uh, verse 1 has that. God is coming out of his holy temple. He's coming as a witness against them. So uh, also there's a word to Assyria in chapter 5 verses 5 and 6 and to Babylon in uh, chapter 4 verse 10. It talks about the restoration of the people. So that was the, the purpose. The purpose is to announce judgment. It's to, it's to take the words that he saw concerning them and let them know this is what Yahweh says. And then messages and themes. Uh, Yahweh recognizes Israel's sin, uh, the whole nation, and is determined to punish their widespread idolatry. If you, if you saw chapter 1 and 2 as I read, you, you, you could see he pinpointed this, he pinpointed that. Idolatry and oppressing the poor. And people who said, what's God going to do to us anyway? The same type of sins that we've seen over and over. But they're seen by God and they're pointed out specifically. It's important. It's important for us in our own lives and to others to point out sins specifically. Well, you're bad. You're not perfect, right? Like the church that I saw in the, in the Keys. Uh, admit that you're not perfect. That was their road to salvation. No. You have specific sins that are damning sins. You need to repent of those, not just say, well, Lord, I'm not perfect. But that's the spirit of our age. God is just a bandage. He's not a savior. I'm really not that bad. I really don't do these terrible things. And that's why, that's why some of these prophecies jangle us and, and there's a juxtaposition. We, we say, oh, that's horrible. That's horrible that they would do that. We have to know that this stuff is in our own hearts. That's what I could be. Paul tells saved Corinthians, he says, but such were some of you. And he lists a thing and you say, that's horrible. But that's what unconverted people are. That's what unsaved people are. And, and uh, God is trying to get them to, to pay attention because he's going to specifically say, this is what you're doing. His message points out the characteristic sins of idolatry, oppression of the poor, failure to acknowledge God. They're, they're all highlighted. Notice the scathing rebuke in the second, uh, here you heads of Jacob, how detailed this is. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, Micah is saying, here's something that I saw from the Lord, so I said it. Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love evil? That, that's our generation. That's our world. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people 
and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. What a horrible looking thing. What a, what a horrible picture. But, but that's what it takes to, to jar them. And, and Micah comes and jars them with these scathing rebukes, with pictures, with pinpoint language. Uh, there's another uh, beautiful message or, or theme is that Yahweh is the shepherd king. He's the shepherd king. He gathers as a shepherd with the power of a sovereign king. And that means that his gathering is completely effective. It will uh, happen. Uh, there is a remnant, as we've seen before, no matter how far the judgment extends, uh, there's a remnant. Chapter 2, 12 and 13. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. And that's a promise from Yahweh. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. I I'm going to do something and restore uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 6 through 8. Many people can, uh, <clears throat> many people know these passages. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make a remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. Only God can do that. That's the rubble and the destruction that will happen to them. And people who are cast off, who make a strong nation. The Lord will reign over them. See, there's the shepherd and the king in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And then uh, chapter 7, verses 14 and 18. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. Who dwell alone in the forest in the midst of the garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead in the days of old. And then... Verse 18 uh, connects the question, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? doesn't pass over transgression for everybody. It's for the remnant of his inheritance. And God can make sure that that happens. He doesn't retain his anger for, forever because he delights in steadfast love. And those promises are connected. And the shepherd king is, is demonstrated in uh, Micah's prophecy. So he's the shepherd king. He also demonstrates covenant faithfulness and forgiveness. And we could look at those verses again. But forgiveness and redemption and covenant faithfulness is woven throughout. Psalm 106 is recounting how God dealt with the Israelites. Yet he saved them. For his name's sake, that he might make known his power. He saved them that he might make known his power. He's a shepherd king. You, you were called, you were brought forth out of darkness by the shepherd king. You were saved by the shepherd king. You were called by the shepherd king who has power to do it. Hawker says his name was engaged in covenant promises. God put his name on those promises. And his glory was manifested in making good his engagements. Whatever he said he would do, his glory was manifested in making sure that everything happened. We saw it in the men's meeting yesterday. 
God's faithfulness. How does he demonstrate his faithfulness? Because what he says always comes to pass. Amen. It always comes to pass. He, his glory was magnified in making good his engagements, notwithstanding all their undeservings. And that's a humbling thing for us too. God's covenant mercies and his faithfulness are manifested to me even though I do not deserve it to be shown to me. You struggle with the same things. Things of self-control. Things of doubt. Things of just saying, I don't feel like having my devotions today. Things of filling your life with other things rather than spiritual things. You struggle. And you're undeserving. But Hawker says, though I fail in all, God's covenant fails in none. Amen. I'm lazy. I'm a procrastinator. Well, you better work on that. But God's covenant will never fail because Christ died for lazy people. Christ died for procrastinators. Well, that's good. I'll just continue to procrastinate. I'll read that book sometime. No, that's not the idea. It's to stir us up. The ultimate expression of Yahweh's forgiveness piles up in those pictures of mercy. Uh, man, man-centered religion, centered religion focuses on what God can do for me. And is he really going to do anything, right? We've seen a number of passages that we're beyond God's judgment. He, he, what's he going to do? He can't execute a, a judgment against us. We're safe. Uh, uh, that's man-centered religion. We're all the same. I'm not as bad as him. He's not as bad as me. This and that. Uh, but God-centered religion uh, focuses on his holiness, his glory, uh, and his demands, and his indictment of, of human sin. And, and that's why, and that's why that's such a powerful passage. Who is like Yahweh who forgives trespasses? There's forgiveness with you that you may be feared, the psalmist says. If you should mark iniquity, who could stand? Nobody. His attributes are displayed. His, his pardoning and passing over sins. He made a covenant. It, it said that in that passage that he delights in steadfast love. Delights in it. He loves to show mercy. Amen. And he preserves the remnant uh, over against the vast majority of unbelievers and idolaters and we our generation takes this cheekily i was reading a sermon by uh vody balkum and he was talking about the the final uh letter to the seven churches and that's the one that calls them to uh to repent uh be zealous and repent because he stands at the door and knocks it's a, one of the classic passages that's completely misused mm -hmm. but he says you're in a bad condition you think you're rich but you're poor you think you're clothed, but you're naked, and you should come and buy from me and get it. And Bodhi Balkum said he, he gets a little nervous when he hears people say, I went to the altar one day and I surrendered it all. And he says, well, I, I get a little nervous. I cringe at that because he says a lot of people don't even know what the all is. It's true. How bad are our sins? How, how gracious is God compared to really what we are by nature and, and, and by practice. 
we, do, we don't know all. I surrender all. <laughs> oh, do I know thee all? Are you walking with the Lord, but are you still surprised what comes into your heart sometimes? Are you still surprised what you think about? What occupies your time? You say, why am I thinking about this? Why am I preoccupied with this? But right to the depths. And only God can get there and help us to go there all, all the way through and, and, and figure out these windings and turnings and, and help us in them. So he demonstrates his covenant uh, faithfulness. And uh, uh, it's also the th a theme is that God is the only God of salvation and Yahweh is the only God who can require correct worship and behavior. Uh, chapter 6 through chapter 6, verse 8. Oh, you say now we're going to talk about requirements? Um, my Bible has the heading, what does the Lord require, <laughs> right? Oh, now we got requirements? That's, that's people nowadays. Duty? The Lord's Day? Abstain from this? Don't do that? Don't do this? With what shall I come before the Lord? That's the question. Not a band-aid. Not I want to go and feel good about worship after I go. I want to clap my hands and do all this bouncing around. Then I'll feel good. No. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? That's truly who he is. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Hmm. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Hmm. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see how it's escalating? God never said the, the firstborn or anything like that. But he's escalating the picture. What can I really give? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. You mean there's an answer to what shall I give? That's right here. And it's right here. To do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly day by day, every day. And God is the only one that has the right to, to tell us that, that that's it. And, and all these people nowadays come to God whatever way they want. They don't ask those questions. They don't ask those leading questions. How should I come to God? How should I come? Mm, whatever way you want. Oh, I don't like that church. They're too noisy. Well, this church is not noisy enough. And I like the music there. Oh, the guy that plays the guitar, he's really something. Those are the criteria, some people. And that's worship of God? No, it's not. What does God require of you? What does God require of me? You can see... It's internal worship and heart relationship. He says, walk humbly with God. It's walking. And then Micah's style. There's judgment. There's redemption. There's threat. There's restoration. Uh, some of the writers talk about this. It's a prophecy of transitions. Because he'll say something, and then he'll go to the passage on redemption. And then he'll come back to something else. And, but... Uh, I have this uh, Nelson Study Bible, and it, it, it says it the right way. Micah presents an impassioned 
and artistic interplay between oracles of impending judgment and promises of future blessing on Israel and Judah. And that's right. It's full of passion, but there's also artistic interplay between these things. It's, it's like Amos. Remember how many pictures were in Amos? And we'll see the same thing. These pictures of promises. And we do have to note that when we come to the, to the style, we have to say that this is just like a, a compiled anthology of what he said right? Seven chapters. It would take us 15, 20 minutes to read through, but he, he, maybe he prophesied for 25 or 30 years. So it, it's a, a compressed anthology of his long preaching uh, career. There's illustrations, there's figures, there's questions. We just saw the question, what does God require of you? What can you give? And God questions people and makes them think, What's, what, what, what can you give to God to get rid of those sins? Uh, there's interaction. There's uh, figures of speech and vivid descriptions like we saw in chapter 3. Detailed promises. This, this, covenant, this covenant idea is all over the place. And, and then finally, the, uh, the structure. Uh, I really didn't make an outline. And I just followed what they said uh, with... Uh, the word of the Lord coming, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, hear you people, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, hear you heads of Jacob, uh, and chapter 6, hear what the Lord says. Uh, and that's, th there's three small sections or three sermons. Now, you know, the liberals, they go crazy in this and they say, well, you know, these verses couldn't be written by Micah and the chapter 7 must be written by, you know, you end up with, Three authors and the one didn't know that, you know, forget about it, right? How do we know it's the word of God? It, 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 it is consistent. So hear you peoples, hear you heads of Jacob, here's what, hear what the Lord says. And, and there's a, a varied emphasis in each of those sections, but they're, they're similar. And, and then it's, it's just interesting because the place the place of his ministry is, is most likely those towns, that area where he came from. Somebody says, no, he was in Jerusalem. And, and I just, I don't know, I couldn't, if, if Isaiah is there talking with kings, where is, where is Micah? He was in the background anyway. So I think maybe he was in that area and spoke to those people. Well, then we come briefly to... Uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It's God's call and his appearing. And here we come with the first call. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in them. So that's surprising. Who does the prophecy concern? Oh, you say Samaria and Jerusalem. It's right in verse 1. But who does God call to listen? Everybody. Everybody on the face of the earth. Because when God, when God starts to, to work, even with two cities or one nation, the rest of the world is affected. And God's judgments and requirements of the globe are the same requirements of his people. There's a call to hear. People, all of you, pay attention. Earth and all that is in it. It's, it's a summons. 
He's going to take action, and Micah's prophecy begins with all, and it's from the all to the smaller portion. Somebody said it's a clarion call. A clarion call is a resounding and clear call. You can't miss it. It's resounding and clear. It's a clarion call to everyone in every nation at any period of history to understand that God is a righteous king and judge to whom everyone must give account and before whom everyone is liable to judgment. And it's the judgment day picture uh, that he says. He calls all the nations and then he says, let the Lord God be a witness against you. And that's the worst witness that you can have. Call your first witness. It's Yahweh. Now I'm in trouble. All the nations are in trouble. Who's your star witness? Yahweh. Well, that's bad. He knows everything I do, everything I think. He knows the thoughts and intentions. It's bad. It's like my day in court, and we got to the courtroom, and it said, Judge so-and-so, and, -so, and the, the cuckoo lawyer says, oh, that's not good. You know, thanks a lot. But if Yahweh is witness against you, you can forget that that's just the man's name. He's not a judge anymore. I'm sure he's passed passed on but that's what God says let the Lord God let Yahweh Adonai be a witness against you and all the nations should stop and say we, we better hear what's going on they're all under God's scrutiny and God is a witness to all deeds Matthew 7 21 oh Lord don't you know we did all these things in your name we did this 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 you would think wow the these people are really special. They work for God. And the bottom line is that Jesus says, I never knew you. They did it for themselves somehow. And they never had daily, honest, open fellowship with Christ. They never really walked humbly with God. They said, I'm going to go and do all this stuff. And then I'm going to praise myself. And when the judge comes, I'll talk about everything that I did rather than everything that he did. Another judgment picture is the separation at the end times. On the left and on the right, and you can see it fits. The, the people that are converted, the people that are saved, what do they say about what they did? When did we do that? When did we do that? And the other people say, I did this, I cast out demons, I did all this other stuff. And the true believers, they say, when did, when did I do that? Because the focus is not themselves, the focus is God. And God says, have compassion on the poor. And I say, God, bring some poor. Help me to find people to minister to. It's just natural. It's not so that I can come back and say, guess what we did this week? We ministered to the poor. Well, you got your reward right there. Fifteen people heard you say how great you are. But, that, but that's what happened. And he comes and says, let God be a witness against you. There's no more reliable witness in a court than Yahweh. He sees the hearts. But the next thing it says, and we'll probably have to end here, 
He comes from his holy temple. Now somebody says it's the temple in Jerusalem, and I don't, I don't agree with that because the rest of that section is a picture. Uh, let God be witness against you. He comes from his holy temple. He's coming out of his place. He's coming to tread on the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt and the valleys will split open. That's all picturesque language. So the mountains really aren't going to melt. Valleys really aren't going to split open, but we'll, we'll look at that next week. That's what happens when God starts moving, and there's, there's psalms and other prophecies that say exactly it. And uh, all right, we won't go into that. But yesterday, we studied God's faithfulness, and uh, Manton says that one of the biggest things that shows God's faithfulness is the earth. And he says, look at the earth. He spoke, and it stood fast, and it's still standing fast. He uses a picture. He says, don't you see that the whole earth is just hanging out there all by itself. Who holds it in position? There's no cables or anything holding it. God does. It's an amazing. Th it's an amazing thing, but but that's God's faithfulness. So he 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 comes from his holy temple. He comes uh, to his people. He comes uh, to uh, address these things, and he and he calls out the whole earth. But the, but the judgment is in those other words because the earth is going to go through them, things. Mountains are going to melt. Valleys are going to be split up. See, it breaks up that God says, I put the earth there. I can maintain it. But I can also split valleys and, and make mountains melt. Well, we'll get to that. God comes from his holy temple uh, in holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for these considerations and the uh, uh, in a sense, the excitement that we have to study a new prophet. We're thankful for the clear call that you gave to these men and the clear words of Yahweh that they spoke. Help us, Lord, to walk humbly with you in Jesus' name. Amen.